Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Now here's the reality. Uh, there are two groups of people in this room. Specifically when we're talking about how you like to receive directions when you're traveling somewhere. Some of you in here, you want landmarks, right? When you're trying to get to someone's house, you want someone to tell you, go down the road till you see a red house. When you see the red house, turn right. You're going to drive by three gates, and then you're going to see a tree that is not completely dead, but it's almost dead. Don't turn at the dead one. Turn at the almost dead one. You're going to turn left. You're going to go past a pond, and you'll see the house on the right. How many of you, that's your preference because you know a red house when you see a red house, okay? Now, some of you in here, if I gave you directions like that, you would look at me and you would say, do you think I'm five years old? <laughs> Tell me the street name. Tell me that I need to go a quarter of a mile. I'm going to turn left. Then I'm going to go about another third of a mile. I'm going to turn right. Then I'm going to turn on Henderson Road. And after Henderson Road, I'm going to see this road and I'm going to turn there. How many of you, that's what you want? Right? Now, for some of you, you want the landmarks. If I gave you directions with the road name, its distances, you would look at me like I'm an idiot, right? But here's the truth. We're different. We, we think differently. We process differently. And any good teacher is going to realize that's the case when they're trying to impart not just information, but especially transformation into their listeners, and I think we see that in the life of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You see, for a teacher, it's not just about understanding that learners are different, but it's also understanding that the teacher has a responsibility not just to talk about ideas and theories or maybe for a preacher talk about theology, but there is a responsibility to take those ideas and bring them down where listeners and learners, in a sense, can have handles. Right, that you can grab onto it and say, okay, I see how that makes sense, right? So when the doctor comes into, into the appointment room and they give you an update on everything that's going on with your diagnosis and then you look at them and you say, can you explain that to me like I'm a five-year-old, right? Like, give me something I can grab onto. Help me understand how this is going to affect my life. Are you with me? You tracking? Yeah, we would all agree. It's, it's helpful sometime to know, what does this mean for the day-to-day -day in my life? Well, if you've been with us in this journey recently through 1 Corinthians in 8 through 10, we know that Paul has been dealing with this issue of food that has been offered to idols. And he's given us a lot of different thoughts to think about. And we've said that it's been helpful for us to think about biblical decision-making and how do we process a situation if it's a situation where we can't turn to a chapter and a verse in the Bible that tells us what to do? And so we've seen Paul talk about the importance of considering the weaker brother and, and my actions and how they impact the weaker brother. We've seen Paul show in his personal life how he has willingly laid down his rights 
We've seen him say that he has become all things to all people, right? To the Jews, he became like the Jews. To those with the law, he became like the law. To those with no law, he became, right? We're seeing as he's processing all these filters and how I navigate life when there's no chapter and verse to turn to. Well, today we're going to see that Paul is going to come to an end of this conversation about food that has been offered to idols. And God's people said, amen, right? He's going to come to an end to it. But before he wraps it up, he's going to take this idea that he's been talking about and he's going to give the church in Corinth and for us today some handles to grab onto and to go, okay, this is what it's going to look like in the day-to-day of my life. He's going to give us a general principle. Actually, he's going to restate a general principle. He's going to give us two specific situations that the people in Corinth would have faced, and he's going to help them know how to navigate this. And then he's going to wrap up this entire section, really concluding it in a powerful way. All right, so I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 23. We're going to go to chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any unbeliever invites you over and you want to go eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, again, we submit ourselves to your word. We pray, God, that you'd give us clarity in our life. And today, even as we talk about the application of an idea, We ask that, Spirit of God, that you would help us in this moment to understand how this text can apply to the situations that we're in. But also we pray, Spirit of God, that you would sink this deep into our hearts, that when we find ourselves in a situation, maybe this week, that we're not expecting right now, that, God, the reality of your word and the reality of the Spirit, that what you're doing now, that would help us to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today, as we consider this passage of a principle, two specific application points, and a conclusion, our takeaway is simply this. Personal freedom calls for great awareness. Personal freedom calls for great awareness. We've talked in these chapters about Paul talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. Yes, we have been freed from the slavery of sin. But Paul is also speaking here about a freedom that we have that comes in regards to non-moral issues, issues that we face in life that are not necessarily a right wrong, but maybe a should I or shouldn't I. And there's a freedom that Paul is speaking here that can come with that. 
And he begins here to wrap up this section in verse 23, as I said, by restating a principle. We see it in verse 23 and 24. First thing I want you to see here in verse 23 and 24 is that can and should are two different motivations. Can and should are two different motivations. He says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. What we find here is that Paul is going to restate in a very similar way what he has already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you may remember that from several months ago. It's the exact same idea that he's putting forward here. And I would say it's showing the difference between can and should. Paul's saying everything is permissible. There is some freedom that is found in the Christian life. Now, when we understand the full context of Scripture, we understand that disobeying what God has clearly commanded is not permissible. Right? So when he says everything is permissible, he's not saying we have a free license to live life however we want and just to bank on God's forgiveness at the end. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying in these non-moral issues, there's freedom that comes. Everything is permissible. But one of the differences that he makes in chapter, between chapter 6, verse 12 and here is how he finishes it out. In, in chapter 6, he says it's all permissible. And the very last statement he says is, but I will be mastered by nothing. But look at what he says here at the end of verse 23. He doesn't say that I'll be mastered by nothing. He makes a shift here. And this tells us the, the tone or really the theme of what Paul is getting to in this closing section. He says everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. The word here is the word of construction, literally to build something up. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he clarifies it in verse 24. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So can and should are two different motivations. And what Paul is going to address here is to say that in his motivation, we've seen it happen throughout chapter 8 and chapter 9 and the beginning of 10, but his motivation here is that he wants to consider what is going to build up, specifically what is going to build other people up. If you think about a teeter-totter, right? One side goes up, one side goes down, and right there in the middle is what's called, I believe, the fulcrum. And if I'm wrong on that, don't tell me, just let me believe I'm right, Okay is the fulcrum. And in a sense, as you think about Paul's mindset here, what he's saying is when I think about the personal freedom that I have in my life as a believer, and I think about should I or shouldn't I, what Paul is saying is that one of the filters through which he's thinking that, the fulcrum there is how will this affect other people, right? So can I, but should I? Let me ask you a question. Can I preach for an hour and a half today? <laughs> Let me ask another question. Let me ask another question. Can you get up and leave whenever you want? <laughs> I love it. Hearing the little kids, nope, can't. And you're right, kids. Let me ask another question. Careful how you answer this. Should I preach for an hour and a half today? I know who loves me and I know who doesn't. 
<laughs> and I know what kids have chores after church today. <laughs> Should you get up and leave whenever you want? I love it. Can and should are two different things. Now, I'm not preaching for an hour and a half today. I shouldn't preach for an hour and a half today. As I've heard it said before, the mind cannot absorb what the seat cannot endure. <laughs> right? Some of you will get that after lunch, right? I shouldn't do that. That's not the regular rhythm of, of how we operate here when it comes to the teaching of God's word. We, we give the word. It is the central moment of the worship service. We give it the priority and we give it the time to feel like we can truly work through the text and, and, and for us to walk out of here know, understanding we know the text and what it means for us. But at the same time, if I want Sunday were to go for an hour and a half, it'd be really awkward. And there may not be many of you in here when I get done, right? So that would not be something that I should do. But, but there's a difference there. And what Paul is saying here is he's, is he's going to bring this thing to a conclusion. As one commentator says, that our behavior should not be dictated by what we consider to be our rights or what freedoms we may have, but by what will benefit others. So when we think about our life and the situations that we find ourselves, what we can or cannot, specifically here, what we should or what we should not, Paul says, I need to consider others. And so we're going to see here, starting in verse 25, how Paul is going to show the church in Corinth specifically in this idea of food that is offered to idols and with the understanding that Paul is telling them here that your freedoms, that there should be an awareness there of what you should do as it relates to people and how it's going to affect others, he's going to dive into some day-to-day -day situations that they would have faced. He's going to give them some handles. So it's not just this big idea, but Paul's going to say, here's how you should behave in these moments. Second thing I want us to see today, verse 25 through verse 30. Where can and should are two different motivators, flexibility and accountability are two guiding principles. Flexibility and accountability are two guiding principles. He's going to begin in verse 25. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, Eat everything that is set before you without raising question for the sake of conscience. Now, understand this. One of my roles, well, let me just give you some insider information here. Every Sunday when I get up to preach, I'm trying to answer three questions for us when we open to a text of Scripture. The first question is this. What does this text say? What does it say? The second question is this. What does this text mean? What, what, what is the heart behind it? What is the overarching um, thematic idea that is trying to be expressed here? What does it mean? And the third question is this. What does this text mean for today? What does it mean for today? Now, what that third question is not is, what does this text mean for me? Because hear me clearly, I don't have the right to determine what this text means. I have a responsibility, whether I'm a preacher or whether for you, as you're reading the Bible for yourself, you have a responsibility to understand what the text says, 
to do your very best to understand what it means, and then to say, okay, what is this going to mean for me? Let me show you what that looks like. It means that today I can't hop on 165 and drive 95 miles an hour and get pulled over by one of our police officers. And he says, what do you do? And I say, I'm driving 95 miles an hour down the road. You got a problem? Well, yeah, I got a problem. You can't do that. Yes, I can. Philippians tells me I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> Head back to your car, pal. I appreciate what you do in law enforcement, but I'm under a high authority named Jesus. And he says, I can do whatever I want. Right? What am I doing? I'm taking the meaning of that passage and I'm trying to determine what it means for me. Do you think the Apostle Paul was talking about how fast you drive on 165? Absolutely not, right? So part of our responsibility here is to understand what the text says and to think about what the text means and then to help us, listen to this word, to apply it to what it means for us today. And that's what we see Paul doing here. He's saying, I've talked with you about food sacrifice to idols. That if you know, if you're in the temple and you're partaking of food that has been a part of this feast, that has been given honor to this idol, then you are participating in idolatry. That's what we talked about last week. He's talked to them about the impact of eating and how it can have on others, right? He's talked, about, but, but now Paul is going to that application section. And we see it in two prominent situations that they would have faced in their life. These would have been common, very, very common occurrences. And so Paul, just as my heart is to give you helps along the way, Paul's heart is to give helps along the way. The first one we see in verse 25 is this. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. If you haven't been here, you may not have heard me say this, but... Uh, that meat, predominantly what would happen if it was taken in, in, in one of the idol temples and it was sacrificed, part of that meat would be used specifically to uh, a sacrifice to the idol. It would be used in a feast in honor of the idol. At times that food may be used in some civic ceremony that would take place, although not directly to the idol. It might happen in the temple confines. But then most of the meat would oftentimes be sold or given to this meat market. The, the extra would be given to the butcher. It'd be given to the meat market. And so that means that a lot of the meat that was found in the, uh, in the community, a lot of the meat would have come from these temples. Now, it wasn't all of it, but, but, but a lot of it would be. So you hear Paul pressing into these people about their understanding of eating meat to the idols. And what Paul understands is they're eating meat a lot and they're going to these meat markets to get meat. And so Paul here is going to say to them specifically and clearly, listen, if you go to the meat market, don't investigate where it came from. Now, this is in direct contrast to Paul's Jewish upbringing. For the Jew, they would have to investigate. They would have to know exactly where it had come from. But, but here, Paul, he's saying, listen, don't do it. Don't investigate. When you go to the meat market, it may, it may not. And he's going to say in this moment, there is a freedom that comes. This is not a conscience issue. There is a freedom that comes. And why does he say that freedom comes? We'll look in verse 26. Since or because the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. 
He's saying when you go to the meat market, it may, it may not. Don't investigate it. Just go and eat and eat with a heart of thankfulness. And he quotes here from Psalm 24.1. He says, you eat it. Why? Because ultimately it belongs to the Lord. It's his. And so eat. He's given practical handles for these people of what this is going to look like for their life. If it's at the meat market, don't ask, just eat. Look at 27. Here's the second common occurrence that would have taken place in this arena. If any of the unbelievers, that's an important word here, invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you. Now look, he's going to repeat the same phrase that he said about the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. So here you have these believers. He's just given them some, 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 some strong leadership information here on how to handle this food with idols, right? He said, listen, if you eat it at this feast in the temple, you're participating in idolatry. What at the heart of it is demonic. Well, gosh, what if an unbeliever, someone I work with invites me to come over and now I sit down, do do I have to get into this tizzy about, oh my gosh, where did it come from? I don't want to participate with idols. Oh my gosh, I want to be involved in the demonic. What do I do? What do I do? And Paul says, listen, there is a freedom. There's a freedom that comes. When you sit down, you eat. Don't feel like you have to investigate it. Enjoy the freedom that comes in that moment. But look at what he says here. Look at verse 28. Look at the first word of verse 28. But... But if someone says to you, so think about you're at this meal, this private meal with an unbeliever, and someone says to you, this food is from sacrifice. Do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now look what he's going to say at the beginning of verse 29. I do not mean for your own conscience, but for the other persons. Now, I, I got to be honest with you, I kind of chuckled in processing through this because, right, he's saying if you go to this private meal with an unbeliever, don't worry about where the meat comes from. Don't investigate it. Just go with a clean conscience and clear conscience and just eat. In a sense, what Paul's saying here is put people as the priority. Go and eat with this unbeliever. Don't get wrapped up in where the meat comes from. And so I'm almost envisioning as I'm processing through this that they sit down and there is this massive feast in front of them, right? I want you to see it. Can you see it? You see the feast? I'm sorry to do this to you. All right, but, but right, you, you see this feast in front of you. And like, it's time to eat, man. You have passed plates around. You've passed bowls around. You have filled your plate up. The food is falling off your plate, right? You are ready to go. And then the person that is hosting the meal, he says, hey, man, here's some great news. Hey, I'm good friends with one of the priests. And actually, he gives me a great deal. And so I just go straight to him in the temple. And this cut of meat is some of the best cut of meat. He doesn't even send it to the meat market. But he takes from what was sacrificed to the idols and he gives it straight to me. And here you are looking at your plate full of food. <laughs> and thinking about Paul saying, don't eat. <laughs> Why? Why in this moment? As Paul's going to give them freedom over here that if they're in the meat market or if they're not aware just to eat. But why all of a sudden, if they become aware, even in this private setting, that this meat has been sacrificed to an idol, don't eat. Well, he says here because of conscience. But notice what he says. 
not your own conscience, but the consideration of others. And here's where I want you to track with me. Why would Paul give them this practical application in this setting that although they had freedom to eat the way they wanted when they didn't know, but now Paul's saying that freedom is taken away when they do know. He's going to say because of others. Because for that unbeliever that if they make you aware and they know that you're now aware that this meat has been sacrificed to an idol and you partake of that just like nothing was wrong, what are you possibly communicating to that unbeliever? One, you could be communicating to him. Well, I guess to worship Jesus, that's just another one of the gods, like all these other gods that we have. I mean, we go to all these different feasts for all these different idols, and we eat at all these different feasts in honor of all these different idols, and I guess Jesus is just another one of these idols. And so, I mean, he knows it was sacrificed idol. He, yeah, he worships Jesus, but he also worships this idol and this idol and this idol. Or, or, or for this unbeliever, that if he's now aware that you know and you just continue to eat, you're communicating something about your obedience to Christ. Well, apparently you can be a Christ follower, but but you really don't have to do what he says. And so you see that for that person, whoever it is to eat this food that they know has been sacrificed to an idol, Paul's aware that in your eating, you are communicating something by your actions to those that are watching. And so Paul's gonna tell them, don't eat in that setting. And so we see here that flexibility Freedom can come in some situations, but there's accountability in others. Let me give you a practical example of what that looks like. Let's talk about alcohol for a second. I think you, most of you have heard me say from this platform, I, I don't believe that you can look at the Bible and definitively say that having a drink of alcohol is sin. Now, I will say this. I do believe that for some of you, it's sin. Some of you, you, you've dealt with alcoholism in your life, and you're, you're on a road to recovery of that, and you know that for me to take a sip of alcohol is wrong. I don't need to do it because I know the propensity in my life and where it can take me, and I need to absolutely, completely abstain from it. Some of you, I would even argue that it's a sin because it has become a crutch for you. I've had conversations with some of you that have said, you know, man, just... Life's hard right now, and every night before I go to bed, I have to have that glass of wine or I can't sleep in peace. And I'm telling you, it hurts my heart when I hear that because what I hear is that you're trying to have a substance bring peace into your life that only Jesus can. But I, I want you to hear me clearly. I choose not to drink alcohol. Let me give you four reasons why. Number one is because I know that it's a temptation for some of you and the propensity in your life and where you have walked out of and the personal battle that it can be day by day by day for you. And so as your pastor and knowing the, 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 that you're trying to battle that in the trenches, the last thing I want to do is for you to walk into say the warehouse and you see me having lunch with a beer. And you're fighting day after day after day to honor the Lord in this area of your life, as difficult as it is. And it's not a help for you to walk in and say, man, there's my pastor and he's having a beer. That doesn't help. Secondly, I choose not to do it because I know some of you, I've heard your stories of the destruction that alcohol has played in your family. 
And some of you, the upbringing that you had, and for some of you, the, 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 the challenges in this moment that you're facing because of, 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 of alcohol and the abuse of alcohol and the effect that it's having on your family. And so, man, I, I don't want to participate in that and knowing the battle that you have faced in coming through that. I mean, we know Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler and whoever goes astray because of them is not wise. And some of you have and some of you are. You're dealing with the consequences. You're dealing with the ramifications of others that have gone astray. And I know that that's hard and that's sensitive. And I want you to know I'm right there with you and want to walk this with you. Another reason why I choose not to drink, one, because there are some in here that differ on this issue. There's some people that say, Michael, I disagree. I think that it is sin to take a single sip of alcohol. And for me, we may disagree on that issue, but I want you to know that for, for your pastor, I choose to abstain. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to participate in it. And I would say fourth reason, and this is important, I'm giving you all these four reasons, is that Abby and I, we've committed that as a family, as a husband and wife, we want to do what we want our kids to do, and we don't do what we don't want our kids to do. And I spent enough years in student ministry and watching the impact that alcohol can have and the challenge it can have as you're trying to think about living a godly Christian life with the pressure of alcohol as a teenager and that upbringing. And so we've just said, listen, we're not going to do that. It's not who we're going to be as a family. So I think you hear clearly my conviction and my actions when it comes to this area of my life. Now, let's think about a scenario. Me and you and a couple of people, this summer we go over to Africa. We go over and we're in this village in, 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 in the deep parts of Africa and we are ministering to people, we are serving people. Let's say we've got a medical team there, we're helping them medically. We've got all these different ministries that are happening. And at the end of the day, the chief of the village invites me and us to come into his house and he wants to express his gratitude to us for how we have come and served and been a blessing to his people. And in that moment, as we're all sitting on this dirt floor in a circle, in front of us are small clay cups that are set, and then they pour some Welch's grape juice into these cups. Except it's not Welch's, and it's not grape juice. Now, I've just told you four specific reasons why I choose not to drink alcohol. But in this moment, as we've been there serving and blessing and proclaiming the message of Jesus, and now this village chief wants to be a blessing to us and to show incredible hospitality, has put these drinks in front of us. I'm going to be real honest with you. In that moment, I may, I probably will drink what's in that drink. Now, I ain't going to throw it back like I'm in college, right? <laughs> Some of you in that circle might, but I'm not, right? But here's the thing, I'm going to leverage that moment. I'm going to take a sip of it. I'm going to try to make a look on my face like that wasn't the most disgusting thing I've ever drank or that I don't do this real often. And I'm going to express to that village chief how grateful I am that he is showing us this hospitality, how we're seeing his heart, his generosity, and how for us, what has compelled us to come all the way across the globe is the generosity and the hospitality that we have seen in our Savior. That although equality with God was nothing to be grasped, that Jesus lowered himself and became a servant to all people. 
and that he became obedient even to death on a cross. And that as we hold that cup with with that drink in there, to be able to speak in that moment about about a cup that Jesus held to his closest followers and and said that this cup is the blood of the new covenant that is going to be poured out for you. And in that moment, in the uniqueness of that moment, instead of me stiff-arming it and saying, no, I don't ever do that. For the sake of gospel witness to the chief of this village, I'm going to take a small sip and I'm going to say, let me tell you about the one who created the fruit of the vine that sits in this cup. So hear me today. Freedom, flexibility, and accountability are both guiding principles. Now let me be clear. Nobody buy me a beer if you see me at lunch today, okay? Don't do it. But I hope you see here I hope you see here the flexibility and accountability in situations that we find ourselves in life. And what Paul's trying to get to is don't be a hindrance to the gospel. Maybe you would ask it this way, Michael, are you saying, are you saying that there is nuance to the Christian life? Let me be clear, that's a loaded question. Because if I say yes, that there is nuance to the Christian life, for some people, they would go, "Uh uh-huh. He doesn't trust the authority of God's word. Look at him. He's just one of those other postmodern preachers that believes they're going to determine their truth over God's truth. At the same time, if I say no, there is no nuance to the Christian life, then someone would say, well, look, he's just a Pharisee. He's no different than they were. He's not willing to put people first. But I think we look at a text like this and what Paul would say, is there nuance to being obedient to what Christ has clearly commanded you? Not at all. We are called to be holy as he is holy. We honor God with the clarity that he has given us. But there are moments in life where we have to understand the principle of flexibility and the principle of accountability, and we have to trust the Spirit of God to lead us. And how do we do that? Well, he's going to wrap it up here in verse 31 and following to show us what it looks like in those moments. Look at me in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. How do we do this, Paul? You've given us these specific examples, but man, there's moments where it can be a challenge to know, man, how how do I make sure that I'm not being an obstacle to people hearing the gospel with the freedom that I have? And Paul says at the end of the day, verse 31, it's the first of three imperatives that he gives in these closing verses here. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, that's not just some generic eating or drinking. He's tying it to what he's been discussing here in Food Offered to Idols. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Would that be the filter in every situation that you face when you're unsure? Would you be able to be settled in your soul that I'm going to choose to do this when maybe I wouldn't or I'm not going to do this when maybe I would and I can say wholeheartedly I am doing that for the glory of God. That I would not be an obstacle or impede the advancement of the gospel and what's in front of me and I can do this in knowing that I'm not disobeying what God has clearly said. 
but I'm trying my very best in a reliance on the Spirit's work in me and his leadership to help me make the decision that most glorifies the Lord. And Paul says it there in verse 32, the second imperative, give no offense to Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. That's everybody. Everybody. Don't let your freedom... Don't let you think that your rights give the ability to be an obstacle to unbelievers. He says there, I'm trying to please everyone and everything. This is not an insecure people pleaser. He's saying, I'm trying to be as winsome in my Christian witness as I can. Not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. That's just a word that we think of it differently, but it means all. Why? So that they would be saved. Flexibility and accountability are both guiding principles, but ultimately we're to glorify God by following Christ's example. It's why he finishes here with the third imperative, what? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is looking to Jesus and he is seeing how oftentimes Jesus would lay down his rights as being fully God, as being completely divine. He would lay those rights down for the sake of others. Paul says, I'm looking to that example and I'm trying to emulate it in my life and I want you to emulate it in yours. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, you're thinking, man, this just seems pretty terrible, right? You're telling me that if there's things I want to do, that if I'm a Christian, I don't get to do those things because of somebody else. But I want you to think about it another way. If you're not a believer in Christ today, I want you to think about what you've just heard. That for the Apostle Paul, for these people in Corinth almost 2,000 years ago. And from every century from that point to today, there have been people that have claimed to be followers of Christ, that have exhibited restraint of things that they think they can do. They have exhibited restraint in preferences that they have. They have exhibited restraints in comforts that they could have. For the sake of other people. What would compel someone to choose restraint of things that they can do? To choose restraints from preferences? To choose restraints from, from comforts? because there's something much greater than what they can do or what they're comfortable doing or what they prefer to do. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a reality that the Bible says that all of us apart from Christ are destined for an eternity spent separated from him. It's an understanding of the criticality of, of the gospel in our life to be forgiven of our sin and, and, and in the separation that happens because of sin to be reconciled to God through Christ. But it's also because of the difference that Jesus has made in our life that we are willing to lay it down. So here's what I want you to consider today. If you're not a believer here today, people in this room that are, I believe a very, very vast majority of them today, if I were to ask the question, how many of you today would lay down your comfort this week so that that person could know Christ? I believe a vast, vast, vast majority of the hands in here would go up. Why? Because we know the need of the gospel in our life 
because we've experienced the beauty of the gospel in our life and because we care about you enough that we're willing to do that for you. That's the difference that Jesus makes in the life of a believer. Today, he can be yours. Would you bow your heads with me today? Today, I want you to consider in this moment, if you're not a believer, that today you would be willing to say, gosh, if people are willing to lay all this down for him, then maybe today it's time for me to lay everything down for him. You need to say yes to Jesus today, right now in this moment, in the stillness of this moment, You just need to turn your heart to God and to know that he's listening, to acknowledge your sin in your life, the things that you've done that bring dishonor to God, to confess those things to him, to claim out loud what you believe in your heart that that Jesus is fully God and fully man and that he died and that he was buried and three days later he rose again showing that he was a true sacrifice over sin and death confess it right there in your heart. If you're a believer today, my prayer is this, this passage has been another reminder for us that we would consider the needs of others over our own. And that there are going to be moments in our life where flexibility may be the guiding principle and there may be moments where accountability is going to be the guiding principle. And we need to be willing to love people and to love the gospel enough that whatever one needs to take priority in the moment, we'll let it take priority. But whatever decision we make, we're going to do to the glory of God and nothing less. And so Father, today I pray that you would, or that you would help us in that application in our life. As we think about moments that we're in right now or moments that we're going to see in the future, that you would be helping us, that you would, you would help us as we're, as we're growing in our Christ-likeness, as we're growing in the maturity of our faith. Would you give us eyes to see? Would we be attentive, Spirit of God, to you working in our life to know when flexibility needs to be the guiding principle or when accountability needs to be the guiding principle? God, would we be willing to let whichever one of those needs to take the lead to take the lead because we want to value others more than ourselves. And we want to do everything we can to remove any obstacle for the message of the cross to go forward. Father, today, thank you for this word. Help us to grow in our selflessness. Help us to grow in our attentiveness to Spirit of God, what it is that you're saying to us. and Help us to grow in our commitment to glorify God above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.